And from that moment on, I knew that it was a, a huge responsibility and, um, and just mission to be out there as a voice for the ocean because the ocean is voiceless when it comes to us humans. You know, for most people who don't have a chance to interact with the ocean, they still see it as this dark, scary abyss where something's going to eat them. But mm-hmm. it, for me, I think the most important solution beyond just leaving the ocean alone, it would also be communicating the stories of the, from the ocean Absolutely. and making people feel emotionally connected to it and knowing that it is the lifeblood of this planet. It is our life source. And without its being healthy, we are doomed. You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that was TV host, Danny Washington, who was joined by conservation journalist Swati Tikarajan to vouch on behalf of our dying oceans. So, in this episode today, these activists share the immediacy of climate change, simple steps you can take to reduce ocean pollution, and inspiring hope for our next generation. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Danny Washington and Swati Tikarajan. Enjoy. And we're live here in Aspen, Colorado from Earth's Call with Swati Tikarajan and Danny Washington. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. Well, thanks for being here. And Danny, what brings you to the Earth's Call? Well, I'm excited to be here at Earth's Call because I received, uh, you know, an email asking if I would participate as a speaker and contribute. And I was very happy to because I love the concept behind Earth's Call, which is about bringing forward real solutions to the climate crisis. And it's really important for us to come together as climate leaders, right, in many different spaces around the world to have conversations that lead toward real solutions. So we're still, in, I think, in the very early incubation phase, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this organization is going to grow. And Swati, what about you? How are you answering the call? Well, essentially, um, I think, you know, we're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction. Uh, we're in a massive climate crisis. Uh, we're in a massive biodiversity loss crisis. So I think everybody needs to answer the call, whether at an event like this or just in everyday life. So I like the way this was framed uh, to bring a lot of people from different walks of life together. So it wasn't just a framework of bringing in just biologists or scientists or activists. It's biologists, scientists, activists, educators, investors, artists, um, you know, industrious artists. So you you brought in an entire community together because any idea that has to work has to work for everybody. So you even had indigenous peoples and you've had community activists. And so because for anything to work, for us to step up, as a, we have to step up as a community to solve the problem. So I like the way Earth's Call had framed that with that kind of participation. And yeah, so I was basically essentially called in to speak about the oceans, climate and oceans yesterday. And today we're I'm collaborating with Danny on a sustainable development goal, which is life below water, um, you know, and yeah, how to take it forward, what could be an actionable plan, what could we potentially do uh, to improve what's happening, uh, because right now, life below water is in a big mess. I mean, the oceans are at a tipping point, and industrialized fishing is probably one of the biggest threats uh, right now, and apart from the fact that there could be potentially bigger threats like deep ocean mining of the benthic layer that could happen in, in various areas, and And considering that two-thirds of this planet is ocean, it should actually be planet to ocean. And 
considering that two-thirds of this planet is ocean, with over three billion people depending on it for their livelihood, only 7% of it worldwide or less is protected? Yes, yeah. less than 7%. So we're looking at a goal. By 2030, we need to at least have 30% completely free of human activity <laughs> so that we can give the ocean a chance. And, you know, the planet itself is resilient, and we just have to give it time and space. I really believe that that's the, the, the biggest solution. Completely. So again, as she said, human activity, less than 3% of the world's oceans is actually free of human activity. Mm. I mean, the apex predator, like we were just talking about it, the great white shark, which is right there in the bay from my home where I live. Um, and I used to see so many of them in the first couple of years when I used to go cage diving with white sharks. Now I don't see any because there's a whole lot of longline fishing. Um, so much has changed in the water. Um, and plus, about over 100 million sharks are being fished out of the waters, world waters. Just for fish and chips in Australia? I mean, yeah. not a good idea. No. It's your apex predator, but it's just so many, so many issues. And yeah, it requires a community to, to do something and, about it. And there's so many problems, and sometimes it's hard for our audience to rationalize all these problems. Um, from your experience, uh, what, uh, what, what do you have the most hope for, and, and what scares you the most about what's going on in our oceans right now? Well, the funny connection between Swati and I, this is the first time we've met this weekend, but I went to South Africa to her home uh, 15 years ago as a 17-year-old, uh, just helping out with a research project, and saw those same great white, great white sharks out in the wild. And it was one of those moments of my life that truly changed it, because it changed my trajectory, because I saw nature in its wildest form face-to-face. -face. And from that moment on, I knew that it was a, a huge responsibility and um, and just mission to be out there as a voice for the ocean because the ocean is voiceless when it comes to us humans. You know, for most people who don't have a chance to interact with the ocean, they still see it as this dark, scary abyss where something's going to eat them. But it, for me, I think the most important solution beyond just leaving the ocean alone, it would also be communicating the stories of the from the ocean and making people feel emotionally connected to it and knowing that it is the lifeblood of this planet. It is our life source. And without its being healthy, we are doomed. Yeah. Like we have to protect the ocean. So commercialization, fishing, classic in the ocean. What am I missing? Everything, really. So let me start with something very basic. And this is something maybe people know, but it's always worth reiterating. You're sitting right here. We're sitting in Aspen and we're breathing. Every second breath you're taking comes from the ocean. It doesn't matter where you are on the planet. Every second breath every human on this planet takes comes from the ocean. So that's just as basic as it gets and it's as connected as it gets. So you could be up in the Himalayas and you're still breathing your second breath mm -hmm. thanks to the oceans. Over 60% of the world's oxygen is produced by phytoplankton in the ocean. So that's the one big connect I think people tend to forget on a daily basis because just that is a very, very basic connect anybody can feel. So that's one. The other thing is, we, when we look out in the ocean, we're only seeing the surface. So few of us have the ability to go beneath the surface. And the kind of exploitation that's happening below the water is it's, it's really, I mean, it's, it's quite shocking. It would be, and I give this example a lot when I do my talks, it would be like standing on the Maasai Mara during migration and having massive choppers flying overhead, dropping enormous nets, scooping up wildebeest as they go by. And then not just wildebeest, scooping up zebras and scooping up cheetahs and scooping up everything else and then throwing them off the chopper because all you want is the wildebeest. So there's bycatch that's being thrown out in millions of tons every year. Uh, it's a completely unsustainable 
sustainable way of fishing, industrial fishing. It is shocking. Um, there are huge, um, there's a lot of information out there today where you can do sustainably, you know, even if you want to eat fish, there's a sustainable way to do it. There are fantastic websites out there that tell you which fish in what season can be consumed safely and not impact on their population in the wild. And as Danny said, it's, it's so crucial. It's the lifeblood, your climate system, your weather system, your fresh water on this planet. I mean, let's remember that every drop of water on the planet is all the water there is on the planet. No new water is being produced. It evaporates from the ocean, goes up into the clouds, and then it comes down as water. Some of it into fresh water systems, some of it back into the ocean. That's it. And if we mess that system up, it's like, what's your plan B? Yeah. So it's not even a question of, oh, should we, should we not? No, we have to step up and do something about it. It has to be done. So would you say the ultimate goal is um, to create more oxygen in life preservation as well as the conservation of animals in the ocean? I think the ultimate goal is to change human behavior. Exactly. We have to decide on land that we're going to do things differently. And one of the biggest issues that, that hurt, like, really impacts me is plastic pollution and the way that marine debris is taking over mm -hmm. and has become a plastic smog. A lot of people have this image of a giant platoon of plastic floating in the Pacific, the garbage patch. We've now realized that it's not really a big patch. It's not a flotilla. It's literally bits of microplastics that have broken down due to photodegradation and are now completely in the water column. So you're swimming through the water and you just see bits of plastic. And microplastics is in the water you're drinking. There isn't a single bit of water today on the planet. They've analyzed, I think, thousands of samples from every country on the planet and they find microplastics in our water. We don't even know what the long-term effect of that is mm -hmm. on the human body or the endocrine system. Yeah. Every bit of fish that you're eating. So think about it this way. You eat like something and you have a wrapper in your hand and you chuck it. If it doesn't get collected and if it doesn't get recycled, it goes into, let's say, our freshwater systems. From that, into our oceans. Once it's in our oceans, it goes into a fish and you're basically eating the garbage that you're throwing. You know, the ocean is the ocean's regurgitating. It's, all it's regurgitating. So it's like the plastic that I've just thrown away, it could be well on my plate tomorrow in the fanciest restaurant somewhere on the planet. I could be eating fish with plastic in it. I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. And today, one of the bigger polluters in the ocean is cigarette butts. I mean, it's bad enough people are smoking and killing themselves. Number it's bad enough that there is second, um, you know, secondary smoke killing people. Mm -hmm. Now, cigarette butts, it's like one of the biggest polluters in the water. They're finding it when there's a dissect fish open finding it in dead turtles. Uh, it's just, you know, it's as she said, human behavior has to change. We are still in the midst of this crisis. Our thinking is, oh, there'll be a magic bullet solution or something will happen where I can continue life as usual and still change what's happening to the planet. No, you cannot continue life as usual. It's not going to change what's happening to the planet. There has to be a complete systemic change in behavior. It's the only way. And, and, and that's the individual. And that's really difficult to do. Uh, a big theme and concept I know here, at least from this conference and speaking with a lot of the representatives, uh, is behavior change, human behavior change. But how are we going to do that? And, and, and what, is, what are some solutions out there that you see that seem fit? Um, like I said before, I think it starts with an emotional connection so that people can see themselves in this big picture and that we can change the narrative from being the human race on top of it all above nature. We are with nature. We are in nature. Um, I think that's the first step. The second step is to really empower our young people. I think we just 
a lot of old folks are stuck in their ways and maybe will take a little bit longer to change. But what we can work on right now at this very second is making sure that our young minds, the 25% of this human population is educated and informed and knows what to do because we just have to provide them the solutions and give them the options and they'll do it. And, and totally. for our audience listening to this, what would be some of the solutions? How, if we're changing their behavior I mean, some right of now, the how do they? Basic things, very basic things, which is literally stop single use plastics. Oh, I mean, yes. for God's sakes. I mean, the straw, you've evolved with two opposable thumbs. Why the hell do we need to suck up liquid through a straw? <laughs> I mean, I, we may as well just, I don't know, go back down the evolution change and just like give it all up. So that's number one. So just stop all single use plastics, please. Um, and then in your life, you can no longer say, I didn't know. The information is there. So just make informed choices because we have the luxury to do it. Communities that are scrabbling to survive, scrabbling to feed their children, just trying to make ends meet, they may not have the luxury of thinking about the environment. Those are livelihood issues. And the fantastic thing about livelihood issues is livelihood issues actually have tangible solutions. You can go there and say, if you stop doing this for a little bit of time, we can give you this alternative. Lifestyle, which is all of us, we are the problem. We've created the mess that this planet is in. So we have a moral obligation to step up and do something because tomorrow when the shit hits the fan, and excuse my French, it's people who've treaded most likely on this planet who are going to get hammered first. And those of us responsible for the mess that we're in will have either the money or the capacity or whatever it is to survive for a little bit longer. So it's a massive moral crisis and we have a moral obligation to do something about it. And at the end of the day, as it's an emotional story. As a human, you have, it's, it's, we're so disconnected from nature at this point because there's so much in our lives that we think is better and cleaner and something that's actually helping us survive and it's not. Everything we've built, every edifice, every building, all our economic systems, every single thing that we built rests on an ecological foundation. That ecological foundation is crumbling. So it doesn't matter what we, we have to. If, as a species, humanity wants to survive, we have to. If we're fatalistic about it and want to continue with life as usual, I don't know, you got 60 years, have a party, and then, I don't know. It's some, of the, some of the other solutions would be like, uh, I, I always recommend stop eating seafood if you have that option. Yeah. If you're not living like day to day trying to find protein and you have the option to do so, yeah. stop eating seafood. That's a huge thing. Because as soon as we cut the Absolutely. demand, we can cut the supply. So it starts with us. And then also investing in um, sustainable tourism. So if you're going to travel to a uh, oceanfront location, invest in places that are doing the right thing. And then third is to make sure and work with your local government and policymakers wherever you live to to encourage those lawmakers to protect those hope spots that we need. As Dr. Sylvia Earle says, yeah. we do have hope spots, but we need to move fast and, and make sure and they're policy protected. at the end of the day, I think you're absolutely right, Danny. It's really all of us in this room can come up with the best ideas. We can do everything we can, but if we cannot get protected areas that are no-take zones that are actually protected by policy and mm. countries and they put the effort and time into doing that, you know, right. Yeah. And so we need to put pressure to get it done. Well, Swati and, and Danny, you guys are very passionate about this. <laughs> um, you know, for me and my friends, I, I like to think, you know, we're not as passionate about this. How urgent is this for our generation? Um, and do you blame people for being passive towards this issue? 
I think it is the much, most urgent thing for your generation, definitely. I mean, even for us, um, you know, I'm a good, I think, way, at least a decade or 15 years older to Danny, you know. Um, and then there's a whole, but it's, it's, it is the most urgent issue. Okay, there are two things here. One is our own survival. Of course, right? And that's a great, I mean, if that isn't a motivator, I don't know what could potentially be a motivator. But apart from that, when you step out, okay, and all of us live in urban, but when you step out and just look at Aspen, I mean, the trees, the snow, the mountain, the river, the ocean, the sky, the earth, it is so incredibly beautiful. It has intrinsic value in just being what it is. It has a right to survive just for what it is. If it did nothing for any of us tomorrow, gave us no benefits tomorrow, it has a right to survive in its own individual capacity. And it's just absolutely unconscionable that we will not step up to do something about it, not just from a point of view that every non-human animal deserves to live as much as the human animal deserves to. And the fact is the human animal's survivability is dependent on this incredible biodiversity and this planet that we have. And, and I think if we don't see that as the most urgent thing right now, I don't even know in what words to say anymore that we need to do something about it. Yeah. It is singularly the most urgent thing. You asked if we blame people. I don't blame people. I blame ignorance. I blame lack of information. And we are the generation that is waking up. And we're here, especially as millennials, Gen Zers, we're the messengers because we have all the information at our fingertips and we're here to, to help disseminate that and to put people into action and to just recognize we have a problem and we need yes. to fix it. And I just want to say, so sorry, quickly, that technology, right? Great, fantastic. I have nothing against technology, but this is something I want to tell a lot of the younger generation because a lot of my generation, maybe we use the, but still, firstly, it's the largest growing trash on the planet, e-trash. Most of our smartphones require a very rare metal called columbite tantalite, which is coal tan. It's ruining Congo. The Congo civil war is because of this fight over coal tan. The lowland gorilla numbers went from least threatened to critically endangered in a decade because of illegal coal tan mining. I mean, this is worse than blood diamonds. And yet we will go buy phones from Apple, Microsoft, what have you, wherever we buy it. Again, I'm not saying that these companies are doing anything illegal and exploiting it. I'm just saying that this is such a rare metal and such so, few, such, so little of it is found in so few parts of the world that the exploitation levels are sky high. And this is something that most consumers may not even know. And every year when you buy a new model and you chuck an old model and where is it all going? And understand that the price of the phone is not what you're paying the manufacturer. The price is a lowland gorilla. It's rainforest in the Congo. It's civil war in the Congo. That's the price of it. So if you know that that's the price, you will treat it a hell of a lot better. And, you know, and, and to me, these are the things that I, I really feel that it should be out there. We should be talking to people about it. Just And again, as she said, you can't blame people because if that information isn't out there, there isn't an alternative out there, something that you can do about it. And, and having said that, for Columbia Tantalite, now one of the things they might do to look for it is deep ocean mining. So, you know, it's yeah. all interconnected and it's, it's a mess. Definitely. The transparency of the supply chain is very yeah. quiet. Mm -hmm. um, like you were saying with fish earlier. Yeah. It's really quiet. Okay. So there's all these big problems. We've we gone over a ton. <laughs> Um, we talked about being a messenger. I want you both to give our audience one last message before you go. Okay. I'll start with you, Danny. Um, I would say my last message would be to, to start today. 
it's, it's not, I don't believe it's too late. I, re I really think that we're called at maybe the 11th hour, but it's not too late. So do your part, inform yourself, stop laying back in the, in the shadows and waiting for somebody else to fix this. Cause it's up to each and every one of us. So start today. Start yeah, absolutely. Um, I truly believe we, this decade is going to be the most crucial decade in human history, because in this decade, if we don't pull it together, we are already at a point where there's over 415 million parts of carbon in the atmosphere. So we're already looking at over a two degree centigrade temperature rise. We've already locked in a climate system that's going to damage a lot of the way we look at life. So we're already there. So it is today and we have this decade and it's in everybody's hands to do something about it. And I just want to say something that my mentor taught me and that's what I live by because I truly believe that the greatest landscape for the wild is the human heart. There you go. Well, thanks for coming on Realers Live today and all your work with uh, Clean Oceans and SDG 14. Thank you for your time and best of luck in the future. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And folks, if you want to continue the conversation and continue this momentum, go online to real-leaders.com where we have a plethora of inspiring leaders solving the world's greatest challenges with actual business solutions. Also, folks, if you haven't yet, left a review on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please do so now. So it helps keep this show going and I read all of them. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, email us at b at real-leaders.com. That's be at real-leaders.com. Send us an email. What do you like about the show? Do you want to come on the show? And do you know any other leaders who are making a difference in the world? That's it for me, folks. Thanks for being a real leader. And stay tuned for the next episode.